turn to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4. We're going to take the first 16 verses in a study that I've entitled God's GPS, Love. That when you really look at who God is and what God has done, that these verses that we look at this morning point us towards a, a central truth, really, of who we are in Christ and really why we even have the opportunity to be saved at all. Because in the beginning, God, and in the beginning, God, who now we know is love, is guiding and directing everything that happens in the entire universe by that which he is. We begin with his love. We will one day end with his love. Love directs us. Love guides us. It pushes us. It motivates us to the body of Christ for the same reason that someone that's trying to navigate uses GPS, a global positioning system. It's the same reason that we rely on God's love because God's love positions us from heaven. Now, I had no idea about this, but uh, most of you, if you have a smartphone, uh, you know that you have a little GPS unit in your hands. If you turn it on, you go to Google Maps and you press that little button on there. It says, find my location. Uh, All of a sudden, there's going to be a little dot that will pop up on your map. That's where you are. Now, Connie showed me something yesterday, and I I just got to tell you, this freaked me out a little bit. She said, did you know there's a find my friends app on your phone? And I said, oh, really? She says, yeah, you can know wherever I am. At any time on your phone, you can see where I'm at. And I can see where you're at. I said, I don't know that I want you to know where I'm at. (laughs) I could be at Bass Pro Shops and, you know, something. I'm not sure that I I want that. But the reason that GPS works, a global positioning system, is its perspective is heaven. And its perspective is those satellites that encircle the earth that can pinpoint your position at any moment of time because you are visible always from heaven. Can I tell you that the one thing that does that in the life of the believer is God's love? If you want to know how you're doing in your walk with the Lord, love will give you the position. It will tell you where you are. It will tell you where you need to go. It will both direct and correct. God's positioning system is his love. Would you join me and we'll pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you first loved us. Lord, you've always been holy. You've always been righteous. You've always been just and true. But ahead of everything else is your great love wherein you have loved us. That in that love you sent Jesus into this world. That through him we might be saved. And so, Lord, as we turn on the GPS of love in our lives, would you help us to know where we are? Move where you want us to go. Would you bless us, Lord, by speaking to us this morning through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether... They are of God. And so the very beginning of chapter 4, you find this thing that says, turn on the test switch. Turn on the locator beacon. Turn on the way that you can know 
that you are in the midst of God's will for your life, that you're going the direction you're supposed to go, that you can know God himself and know how you're doing according to how he wants you to live. Just test it. See what it's made out of. Because if it's made out of the character of Jesus, chances are it's from the Lord. If it's made out of the character of this world, it's very clear it didn't come from God. And to that end, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, there's a lot of those floating around. They come in every size and shape, every crazy wind of doctrine that blows in this world. But by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. You see, there are a lot of people that believe that Jesus came. There are a lot of people that believe that Jesus is flesh. But there are only those of us who love the Lord, who believe he is both man and God. That God came in the flesh through Jesus Christ. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And again, this is a narrow way. This is not all-inclusive of every world religion. This is extremely pointed speech. And God's saying, look, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're not of God. That isn't my take on the matter. That's what the Bible says about it. As we've been in this subject matter for some time here in John's epistles, I've gotten a few emails, and those emails have been like, well, you know, I can't believe that there aren't other ways to get to heaven. Again, I remind you, the Bible says there's no other way for you to get to heaven. I I would, if I were a human being desiring of the ways that people get to heaven i would want every road to lead to heaven me personally but god's word doesn't declare that god's word very plainly says there are those who are believers in christ jesus who are saved and those who do not are not saved and will not go to heaven so that's in view here it's a piece of this puzzle that we call god's love being poured out And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is already now in the world. There are all kinds of other ways. Lots of other gods. The Bible says everyone save Jesus is a false god. A false way. The wrong way. But you are of God, little children. And overcome them. One of the beauties of our relationship through Jesus Christ with God the Father is he is the way and the truth and the life. Amen? So we have truth that's been spoken into our lives. I have confidence of where I'm going. When I take my last breath, I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. Not because I deserve it, but Christ died for me. He paid the price for me. And because of that price being paid for me, I one day am going to get to go to heaven mind-boggling and anyone who wants to go can go it's not exclusive in the sense that it's hard it's exclusive in the sense that there's one way because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world amen that's the distinctive that's the overcoming thought 
the principle, the truth. The one who's in me. It is now Christ who is in me. It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who is in me. And the life that I now live, I live for and because of him. And so as a child of God, as someone who's rested in his all-sufficient grace, received that grace gift that now walks by faith with the Lord, one of the beauties of that is my eternal security. I know where I'm going because I know in whom I have believed that he is able to keep that which he has committed. Christ came and died so that we can live. Anyone who will receive that gift will be saved. And he's greater than this world and all it has to offer. But they are of the world, and therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. Sometimes that them is the mean-spiritedness of the law. And sometimes that them is the libertine view that you can do anything you want with your life. There's lots of other roads. The problem is there's one Jesus. And he's about to be defined as to how he loves us. We are of God and he who knows God hears us and he who does not, who is not of God, does not hear us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you want to know whether you know truth or not, it's very simple as far as the Bible is concerned. Do you know Jesus? Everything else is the wrong way. Every other road is the wrong road. Now those roads may be paths that people want to travel. Those roads may be available through other religious systems. But the central truth of the Bible is that Jesus Christ alone is the way of God to salvation. And through him, everyone who desires to be saved can be saved. And without him, can no one be saved. Beloved, verse 7. Let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who is loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God for, there it is, God is love. God is love. None of you have ever tried to define God, and, and I want to be very careful here because love is not the only thing that God is in that sense. If you wanted to talk about God in his totality, God is also holy, God is truth, God is just, God is majestic, God is all-knowing, he sees every, there's every other thing that you can think about. But if you really wanted to try and define God in a singular word, there is no word that fits other than love. There isn't one. If you say God is just, and you leave that as the defining factor of who God is, then God should damn the entire world. Amen? You see, if you pull the love out of the justice, you've got a God that is going to have to pour out his wrath and nothing else. 
if you just have God is holy and try and make that a one-word definition. Oh, God is absolutely holy. But his holiness would then demand his justice. And so we get right back into the same position. The only thing that transcends all of the other things that God is, is that in the beginning, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Not that he was just, not that he was holy, though those things are true. Before this world was created, there was in heaven a God who has always loved you. And thereby, John says very plainly, God is love. That's how you can know if you're on the right path, doing the right thing, headed towards the right place. Do you love the way God loves you? Do you think about other believers? Do you think about people who don't know the Lord with that same compassion? Because while we were yet sinners, your Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. It wasn't like Adam and Eve were sitting in the garden going, well, you know, let's just uh, try and be righteous. Amen? Now imagine for a moment that God is simply just and he has law, and he is righteous, here's the response that would happen as Eve goes to the tree she's not supposed to go to. She reaches up for the apple, and her hand disappears. And because she's still driven by sin, the other hand reaches up, goes for the apple, and that one disappears. You see, that would be perfectly just, That would be absolutely righteous and it would be completely fitting with the word of the Lord and the law. But poor Eve would have no hands, amen? So what does God do? God allows in love Eve to do the thing he does not want her to do and he then covers that with his loving grace, amen? Her sin ends up getting covered by the death of an innocent animal in the garden. That's why love is supreme. God could have been just. He could have punished them instantaneously in the garden. And he could do the same thing to you and I today. He could say, look, Jeff, you're a mess. I told you not to do this. And in my justice, I'm going to extract a penalty from you that fits your crime." That's why when we talk about God, we talk about him being merciful because he does not give us what we deserve. Amen? He gives us instead what we don't deserve, which is his grace, which is unmerited favor. You talk about love. So you cannot extract the love of God and still have God. You can move God's justice aside, and if you put love in its place, it still works though he is still perfectly just. He has forestalled his justice. He's pushed away his anger and his wrath. And he said, because predominantly I love people, I'm actually going to allow them the opportunity to even choose something other than me. God is love. And we as the church must put what God puts first in our thinking, and in our living. 
three things here that we can draw from this. Look, the truth is, God actually is love. That is what he is preeminently. Yes, God is spirit, as we will also see here. As we went through John's gospel, we saw that in chapter 4. God is light, as we saw in the first chapter of this epistle. But more than anything else, God is love. And in fact, that's the reason that the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about spiritual giftedness in 1 Corinthians 13, this anthem of God's love, but the picture there is actually the person that really desires to be spiritually gifted, if that person could speak with the tongues of men and angels, if that person could say to the mountain, go into the sea, but would do those things without the love of God, then that which they do is useless. Do you understand the preeminence of that kind of love? Love then is the central motivating factor in the believer's life. Everything we do is motivated by love. Both love for God and love for others as God has loved us. And very specifically, other believers. Because we're in the same family. This is visible in your daily living. You love your own children. You may love someone else's children, but you love your own children in a very special, unique way. And God loves his own children in a very special, unique way. He is capable of loving the whole world, but because he has loved us by providing forgiveness of our sins and imparted his grace to us, he expects us to represent him well. When other people see us, they should see that kind of love in us. That's how the world is actually going to know that we're his kids. If we act the way the world acts, then they don't see the love of the Father in us. Because it's real easy to be bitter when you've been hurt. Amen? It's real easy to be unforgiving when someone has wronged you. Amen? It's real easy for you to exact your pound of flesh out of someone who deserves it. Amen? But what does God do to you in each of those circumstances and situations? He says, Jeff, I forgive you. I don't even hold those things against you. If you'll receive my grace, if you'll act in my mercy, then these things are done. You see, God's love is the prime motivator in our lives it's because that's what god is and while love doesn't fully define god in the truest sense no one word could in english or any other language it is the most complete representation and in fact god does fully define love and that's what it says here God's basically saying, I'm the example of the love that I want you to be, have, and show other people. To that end, it becomes a test, doesn't it? You want to know how you're doing in your walk with the Lord? Take the love test. How am I doing at loving the unlovable? You guys are going to hate me right now. How am I doing at loving the unlovable? Because here's God's picture from heaven. Remember where we started? There's that view from heaven that a GPS unit has. God's view is slightly higher than that, isn't it? 
And when he looks down, he doesn't see all of your wrangling. He doesn't see your justification of why you feel the way you do. He doesn't buy any of your excuses. He simply says, Jeff, is that loving that person the way I would love them? Now, love can say difficult things. Love can even correct. Love can say things that are tough and difficult. But love is always love. God's love never looks different. It always comes out the same. So you can take the test in your life by applying the love test to whatever you're doing or saying. Did you say that in a way that Jesus would say that to that person? Did you act in a way that the Lord Jesus himself would act? Were he in your shoes doing what you are doing right now? Would he have done it that way? That's the love test. It's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? Because most of the time I can look at my life and go, oops. That didn't quite come out the way I had planned. Are you actually loving the way God loves? Look, since he is love, so we ought to love one another, amen? That's the test. So when someone comes and, and gets in your face over a doctrinal issue, and I'm not talking about a discussion, but when you, when you see people hating on other parts of the body of Christ, viciously attacking, that is not the love of God that constrains us. That is the effort of a man's mind to try and figure out what God's trying to say and do. Love is the real test. I encourage you to take it frequently and often. It'll help you with your parenting. It'll help you as a spouse. It will help you as a friend. It will help you as a citizen. It will help you in every area of life if you will simply say, Lord, help me love them the way you love them. How did God show us his love? This one's super simple. I think you all know the answer, amen? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Amen? If you've ever wanted to know if God loves you, you need look no further than the cross of Christ. That's it. If you've ever wanted to know how much God loves you, Christ on the cross saying, Father, forgive Jeff for he doesn't know what he do. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Forgive him. I wouldn't have forgiven me. I'd have come up with some things that Jeff needed to do to try and earn the forgiveness. And most of you, if you're honest with yourself, would be thinking the same way. There'd be some people you would love because they're nice. And there'd be people you would never even attempt to love because they're rotten. You'd come up with a little list and you'd make people go to a line and get a little card, loved or unloved. You would effectively be a determinist. You would just simply say, well, they're worthy and they're not. But God loved us all. Every last living, breathing human being. 
in view for them is the cross of Christ. You see, God loved us that much. In this is love, not that we loved God. Be honest with yourself. Would you have loved you if you were perfect? Would you have sent your own son? And I don't care if you even feminize it and say, would you have sent your own daughter? Would you have sent your only child to this earth for you? Knowing that God didn't have to save us. He created us. He would have been just and right to do anything he wants to do. He's God. But that's how much he loves us. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. I love that word. It's a tough word. We don't use it in English. But it, in essence, means to pay the price. That God the Father sent Christ the Son to pay the price for your sin. That's not something that's human, is it? That's something that's from heaven. And because God says, my motivating factor is that I love you, Jesus came to pay the price for your sin because God loves you. Not because he's mad at you. Not because he's unhappy with you. Not because he hates you. But because he loves you, loves us. And think about it. We, we reside in, in the Milky Way galaxy. There are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. There are perhaps trillions of galaxies in the known universe. And out of all the places that Jesus could have gone, he came here. To a group of a few million people at the time that were on this earth, that were in direct rebellion to the plans of God. And if you don't understand that at the time Jesus came, one word, Rome. You think the world was just in love with God at that time? You'd had the Roman pantheon, the Grecian pantheon, the Babylonian pantheon of God. You have all these other gods that have been fighting for the attention of mankind. And Christ comes here. Oh my. Born in a manger. Lived for 32 and a half years on this earth. Beaten and bruised for my iniquity. Died in my place. Propitiated my sin. Paid it. Debt paid in full. Beloved, verse 11 says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see how exclusive that is? That if God so loved us by sending his own son to this world while we were in direct opposition to God, do you think maybe God wants to fix that relationship between you and that person in this church? Do you think God wants to take care of that unforgiveness and bitterness and hate that's in your heart? Do you think the Lord wants to heal your marriage, repair the breach between your children? Do you think God wants us to love one another the way he has loved us? 
And the answer is unequivocally yes. Why? Because God is love. And God's love can heal any and every breach. Everything that could potentially separate man is bridged by the love of the cross. Everything that could possibly drive us apart can be fixed by what happened at the cross because the truth of the matter is no one has ever been deserving of that salvation we now have that is so rich and so free, amen? I don't deserve my relationship with God. I haven't earned heaven. I've earned hell. But God has chosen because he first loved me to say, Jeff, I'm going to offer up my son as a sacrifice for your sins. I'll pay your debt in full so that you will know that I love you. And all he asks in return is that we love each other in the same way he has loved us. Without reservation and without qualification. Without reservation and without qualification. In other words, God didn't ask you to do something before he saved you. He said, I'm going to save you while you're still doing stuff. And he didn't say, if you meet these commands, I'll save you. He said, I'm going to give you the free gift of faith so that you can believe in me and receive my grace and my forgiveness. We're to love each other that way. That's what bridges that gap. That can get across any canyon that man can manufacture. It's what the cross does. No greater picture do we have than the children of Israel. If anyone should have known God, it was them, amen? But when you try and do it without love, because the law is without love. If you just take the law and try and give people the law, that's why legalism doesn't work. I don't care how legalistic you get in this world. You can tell me a list of 10,000 things that you're never going to do. It will not make you loving. It might get you close to holy. But the motivation in your life will never be love. It will be law keeping. And if you cheapen the grace of God by saying you can do anything that you want. And you run the other way. It's like God has no command on me. Then you will reach out at the other end. You're going to find out there's a cliff. And that you never knew him because the character of Christ is not in you. The only thing that centers you is God's love. It's the reason he came in the first place. It's the reason you can even be saved. A third thing as we wrap this up. Now what does God want for us? That becomes the question, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. The children of Israel had the blessing of having God dwell in a tent in their midst. Amen? In the tabernacle in the wilderness, the children of Israel actually had the visible presence of God inside of the Holy of Holies, his presence between the two cherubim that were on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and they're a pillar of fire and a cloud. He literally, they could look and they go, God's over there. Think about it. 
they literally had the tablets of Moses inside of that ark and a pot of manna that sustained them in the wilderness. If you talk about someone having the capacity to understand God without love, it was them. They had the law and they had works and they had miracles because inside that Ark of the Covenant was also Aaron's rod that budded, amen? So they had miracles, they had the law, and they had works. And guess what? They were a mess. They were a mess. Why? Jesus actually told them when he was here on earth, you search the scriptures for you think that in them you have life, but it is they that speak of me. And now we know why. God is love. God's not just laws. He's not just rules and regulations. He's not just feast days and things you need to do for him. At the heart of who he is, God loves you. God loves you. That should blow your mind. And instead of God dwelling in a tent or a tabernacle, the temple of Solomon or Herod's beautiful temple that sat on the temple mount, instead of God dwelling there, now God dwells in you. Think about that one for a second. The children of Israel could see a visible cloud and a visible pillar of fire, but you as a believer have the very living God dwelling in you. And he is love. He's love. That's who dwells in you. The God who is love. He's made his abiding place in you. There's no longer a tabernacle in the wilderness. There's no longer a building where you need to go to God. God came to you and now dwells in you. Brothers and sisters, what should our response be to love like that? What should our response be to love like that? It's to love like that in return, amen? It's for us to now be who God is in us. It's to transcend all these things that we get so hung up on. And I am in no way, shape, or form dismissing or diminishing anyone's particular situation. I'm simply saying that the God who dwells in you desires to do to will his good pleasure into your life, and he is love. So if it's not loving, it's not from him. If it comes across as cruel and mean-spirited and filled with retribution and vengeance, it's not from him. If it comes across as hateful, mean-spirited, and angry, it's not from him. Because he's love and he dwells in you. He set up home in your heart. Have you ever thought about that? That the God who himself defines himself as love set up his home in your heart. That boggles my mind. I'd be looking for a new neighborhood. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Because you know what your heart is. It's deceitful and desperately wicked and who can know it? And God says, let me clean that up for you. Let me turn that into love. 
Let me take that part of you that doesn't even know how to love and let me transform it. That journey begins with God's love. Causes us to understand his love. It it makes his love known. But if we love one another, God abides in us. For his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him. And he in us because he's given us his spirit. You have that internal GPS. You can flip the switch and go, yep, that's God and that's not. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed that the the love that God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. What he's really saying is, look, this is the whole gospel enchilada right here. So all there is, if you're hungry, I'm sorry. God's love is both declared and demonstrated by Jesus. He says, this is what it is. And this is how you tell people about it, by dying to yourself. This is how you speak about it, and this is how you live it out. You you have to speak the truth, and you have to live the truth. Otherwise, there's a contradiction. And as I've shared with you, no matter what you say, if you live something that is contrary to what you say you believe, People will almost always believe what you do over what you say. And so God says, look, if you want to test where you're at, if you want to find your position, check the love quotient. How are you doing with my love being poured in and out of you? You see, we're supposed to be walking with God. We're supposed to be talking with God. We're supposed to be living in this world as God has loved us. And when you do that, then your declaration and your demonstration are the same. I say that I love God, and because I say I love God, then I love people. If I say that I love God and I do not love people, notice what it says here. The love of God's not in you, and you're actually not of God. It's very descriptive. I, I can tell how I'm doing. Man, Lord, I need to grow in love. That's how I demonstrate it. That's why Jesus, can you imagine now in the light of that, listening to Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount? He's there on the Mount of the Beatitudes. He's up above the Sea of Galilee on this little kind of hill. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you for my name's sake. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to them. How could Jesus say that? Because he loves you. He loves me. I was his enemy. The Bible says I was at war with God. 
and he loved me anyway. Brothers and sisters, that's how we're supposed to both declare and demonstrate who we are. That we love the way God loves. We pull down the walls. We focus on building bridges. And we say, on my side of the bridge, you're going to get loved on. Come on over. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. As they did first service, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're here today and saying, Pastor Jeff, I, I, I've never received that love myself personally. I, I wouldn't know how to even begin to do that. It's so foreign to me. Here's the truth of the gospel. It was just shared with you. God so loved you that Jesus came to this world to die in your place. That if you will believe in him, you'll have eternal life. And by believing in him, you will not only have the forgiveness of your sin, but grace will be placed where right now there is wrath and judgment. And if that's you, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads if you would please for just a moment. I just begin to pray. If you're here and you know the Lord and love the Lord, just pray for those that maybe don't. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't know this kind of love, but you want to before you leave, would you just simply slip your hand up right where you're at? Wherever you are in the sanctuary, I want to pray with you. I see that hand in the back. I see this hand here in the middle, this other hand in the middle. I see this other hand in the back to my right, to my left. Anyone at all, we're just going to pray together. I see that hand back there in the left. Praise the Lord. Jesus loves you. That's why he came. See this hand way over here to my right. Anyone else? You want to you know Jesus. You want to know that love and walk in that love the rest of your days. See this other hand to my right. Praise God. See this hand in the front. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. You can make it right now. Here's the good news. It's the free gift of God. He loves you so much he wants to save you right now. Just raise your hand. For those of you that raised your hands, maybe there's someone here that just couldn't quite muster up the strength to do that. God understands. And you can still pray to receive him. For those who raised your hands, would you just simply repeat these words after me? They've got to come from you. I can help you understand a few things to say, but you need to really speak to the Lord yourself on this point. Would you pray after me? Dear God in heaven, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus. And I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the life that I've lived apart from you. And I need your forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you died in my place on Calvary's cross. And I confess my sin and I'm turning from it right now. Pray that you take control of my life. I'm offering you my life that you would be the Lord of it. I'm asking for your grace to be applied. And the Lord, you'd inscribe my name in that great book of life in heaven. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.